the instructions to repair your body are built into the DNA of your cells. These are for metabolic problems. These are for autoimmune problems. These are even for genetic problems. Dr. Terry Walls, a world-renowned physician, the author of The Walls Protocol. She will teach you how to reverse disease with food. You know, I have secondary progressive MS. I experienced profound disability despite seeing the best doctors. As my illness had progressed, taking the few steps was getting more difficult. Sitting up uh, was more difficult. The next year I needed the wheelchair. When I hit the wheelchair, you know, I take uh, metazantrone, doesn't help. I'm going to keep working out, even though it has to be less and less and less. If you don't keep exercising, the road to complete disability and being bedridden is very short. One year later, after redesigning my diet, my brain fog is gone, my fatigue is gone, and I'm able to bike 18.5 miles. At that moment, I knew the current understanding of secondary progressive multiple sclerosis is incomplete. My story should inspire hope to everyone who has been told there's nothing more that can be done. You have to provide all the correct building blocks and your cells will know what to do. What would be the worst foods, three of them, that you just think people have to just never eat if they want to reverse these? I, um, I'm gonna say, Dr. Walls, in 2007, you couldn't walk, and one year later, you did an 18 and a half mile bike ride. So what is the best advice that you'd give someone that has an incurable chronic disease? You know, I would look at my story and my experience. Uh, you know, I have secondary uh, progressive MS. I experienced profound disability, uh, despite um, every you know, seeing the best doctors, taking the newest drugs. And one year later, after redesigning my diet and lifestyle, my brain fog is gone, my fatigue is gone, and I'm able to bike 18.5 miles. My story should inspire hope to everyone who, who's been told there's nothing more that can be done. There's always things that we can do ourselves to create a more healthful environment for ourselves because the instructions to repair your body are built into the DNA of your cells. You have to provide all the correct building blocks, the correct environment, and your cells will know what to do. So have hope, have hope. We have seen this uh, in others who have uh, you know, severe disability, severe health challenges. Absolutely. And this is not just, so the protocol that we're going to talk about in this interview, it's not just for multiple sclerosis, MS. It is for a variety of diseases. You know, what, what is super interesting is, you know, every week we hear from uh, people contact us, thanking us um, um, for what I've done. And they tell us what the diagnosis is. I've never heard of it, so I have to do a quick search, like, okay, what is this diagnosis? Uh, and it may be some obscure autoimmune disease, some metabolic disorder. It is sometimes a genetic problem. Uh, and what you know, the unifying message is that you know, my doctors find so there's nothing more I can do. They happen to have the good fortune to have uh, stumbled upon my work. They get my book, and they begin. And, you know, they begin having less, um, less fatigue, less brain fog, less pain, 
better mood, better function. They can begin sitting up. They can start using their hands again. And no, they may not be fully recovered. They may not be fully normal, but the quality of their lives are so much better. Uh, and this is for people, um, uh, adults. This is for kids. These are for metabolic problems. These are for autoimmune problems. These are even for genetic problems. They let your cells function uh, more properly. And when that happens, the quality of lives uh, improve. I want to talk about your story because it is incredible, as we said off air. Before we do that, my first question is, what was life like before you were diagnosed with MS? Well, uh, let's go back to you know, before medical school. Uh, I'm an athlete. I uh, uh, am doing martial arts, full contact, free sparring uh, in Taekwondo. Uh, the, co the competitions I was in, you get two points for kicking people in the head, one point for kicking or punching to the torso. Uh, and so I gave a lot of concussions. I got a few concussions. Uh, uh, it was thrilling, you know, just so exciting being in the ring and combat. It's, you know, uh, it's thrilling. Then I get into medical school and realized like, oh man, I should not be letting people kick me in the head. That's not so good. So I, I quit doing my free sparring competitions. Uh, I still teach Taekwondo. I do medical school. I run marathons. I ski marathons. I have my kids. Um, we're still skiing together. Uh, I'm a scout leader. Yeah, and then, you know, I, I can't ski quite as far as vigorously. I can't bike quite as far. And then I'm diagnosed with MS. So I'm sort of relieved, like, okay. Now I have an explanation as to why I, I'm not as um, physically as strong as I had been. At first year, I thought I was just not working out hard enough. So what was the first sign that something wasn't quite right? What was happening with you? Um, you know, it was during medical school. I had these twinges of discomfort at my temple. Um, they were more likely to happen uh, if I'd been up all night. Uh, um, you know, yelled at. We get yelled at a lot as medical students. Uh, and over 20 years, the frequencies of my um, discomfort in my face became more and more electrical, more painful, more severe, more difficult to turn off. So I had this 20 years of sensory problem that was getting worse. Um, I, then I had an episode of dim vision while I was out rollerblading on a hot August day. Uh, and, you know, I had saw my uh, colleagues, got worked up, uh, and there was no clear explanation other than don't work out so hard on hot days because we could tell that when that happened, I couldn't see very well. And so I quit racing. I backed off. I trained at a more moderate level. Uh, my face pains continued to worsen. Um, I uh, had my uh, second child, my daughter, and my uh, face pains were more severe uh, after her. Um, and, you know, and, and finally, I got sent to pain clinic uh, and uh, started getting injections when my uh, face pains turned on. Uh, and uh, that was helpful. But it was clear that they were more frequent, more severe, more difficult to turn off, 
And so I could see the trajectory, which had been going on for uh, about 20 years, was getting steadily worse. You know, I, and I should uh, mention that my father had a uh, myeloneuritis multiplex, which is an autoimmune disease affecting his peripheral nerves. And I had watched him have 20 years of worsening pain. And so, although my physician said, you know, these are different diseases in my head, I'm going, I don't think they are. I think I've got some, I've got what my dad has. Uh, and he had, a, you know, a very uh, troubling timeline to his illness. And I'm like, okay, that's, uh, my face pain will eventually be like my dad's pain and turn permanently on. And, and you know, when the trigeminal neuralgia is on, um, light triggers the pain, sound triggers the pain, touch, you know, uh, triggers the pain, a breeze triggers the pain. Then eventually uh, it would get severe enough um, that moving my tongue triggers the pain. So I, I don't swallow. And so I'm drooling uh, when this is uh, going on. And if I attempt to speak, that moving my tongue triggers the pain. So trying to talk would sort of look like this. Because I move my tongue, I get a jolt of pain, I get a spasm in my neck, uh, and uh, I eventually get to the point where I can't communicate. Uh, and so, you know, we, when the pain would turn on, we'd send, because uh, it'd take a few hours to go from unpleasant to horrific, uh, we'd send uh, uh, Zach and Zeb to uh, friends who would keep an eye on them, uh, uh, send the dog away, uh, and I'd be in a dark room, and Jack would be uh, trying to plead with the pain clinic to see me, uh, to take me in, uh, and then do uh, an injection uh, and uh, give me some high-dose steroids, and that would give me, yeah, it would take a day or two, and the pain would stop. And so, you know, as my illness had progressed, and, you know, I was getting uh, more disabled uh, from the MS, uh, more, uh, you, know, you know, taking the few steps that I could take was getting more difficult. Uh, sitting up uh, was more difficult. Um, my, it is coming to terms with the fact that I was, you know, on track to become bedridden by my illness. And now there's been a brain fog on track to become demented by my illness. And that when I looked at the trajectory of my trigeminal neuralgia, that it, I looked at my dad's experience, and forgive me, this is uh, emotional to uh, recall, because his pain turned on permanently. And he, so he died in really horrific uh, amount of pain. It, it was clear to me that eventually we would not be able to turn my pain off and that 
it would be permanently on, I'd be unable to communicate, then that would be how everything would end. And so I had uh, uh, rewritten my uh, durable power, medical power of attorney, gave Jack the authority, and I rewrote my living will such that if I got to the point where I could no longer swallow, and in this case it'd be that I was choosing to not swallow because it was so painful, and I was unable to communicate that there'd be no IV fluids and no feeding tube. So that I, I, I knew that that would mean that you know, eventually I would starve to death and I would eventually die of dehydration. And so the pain would eventually stop. And that gave me uh, a lot of comfort, but that's where my life was at in 2007. You know, I, I could walk a little bit. I could, I could, you know, I was still monthly clear enough that I um, was working, uh, staffing the resident clinic. Um, but I had a, a, a very uh, grim future lane uh, waiting for me. So this is the time that you have two kids. You have a full-time job. How did you handle that as well as handling everything that was happening in your life at that time? You know, um, so my wife diagnosed with MS, my son is eight, my daughter's five. Yeah, and life's very, very difficult. But, you know, as I was diagnosed and declining, I kept having to reimagine what it was like to be a parent, uh, a spouse, um, and what, what I thought about with my kids is, you know, the most important thing to me is that they can grow up and be emotionally successful, financially independent, uh, uh, know how to be successful in their lives. And my toolbox for teaching them those skills was getting smaller and smaller because I, I originally had thought I was going to teach them martial arts. We're going to go uh, wilderness trekking, you know, backcountry skiing. Uh, camping, and you know, very quickly, I couldn't do that, or I couldn't do it in the same way, uh, and then I couldn't do it at all. But what I could do was show them that life's difficult, but you do the best you can. And I, they were gonna show, watch me every day how I was responding to this, and I'm not gonna complain. I'll do my work. I'll do my little workouts which kept getting, of course, smaller and smaller. But, you know, I did my workout every day. And, um, I gave, they had to do more and more of the household tasks. Uh, both of my kids, uh, at about age 10, um, uh, you know, stamped their little feet, and they're really mad that they had to do the laundry. That, you know, none of their friends know anything about uh, laundry, about dryer sheets, or, you know, set, sorting clothes for laundry as just so not fair. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's not, you know, I get that's really not fair. But these are your chores. Uh, and my chores is going to work. And that's just how it is. And, you know, then they stomp their feet and say, you know, I think you're glad you have MS so you can lecture us about chores. Uh, and now, of course, 
And, and now, you know, they're horrified that I tell that story. And it's like, well, no, that's age appropriate. That's what 10-year-olds do. And, but it's interesting now, as adults, my kids talk about how they learned that life's that fair, but you just keep doing the best you can. And uh, they reflect on how valuable it was to see that, yeah, life wasn't fair, it was difficult, but we had chores and we just kept doing the best that we can. So it, it was my two kids that kept me going because if I gave in to my despair, I would be teaching them that it's okay to give up. It's okay to have despair and say, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to keep doing things. But, and, you know, I didn't give in to despair. I just kept living life as well as I could and kept doing what I could, which at that time, the one thing that I was doing really well and correctly was, I'm going to keep working out, even though it has to be less and less and less. Uh, in my heart, I knew that if you don't keep exercising, the road to complete disability and being bedridden is very short. If you are new to a low or a zero carbohydrate diet, you might have a bit of trickiness in the beginning. And that could be due to an electrolyte deficiency as your body is transitioning over to using ketones for energy. So what I would recommend is to use salt. Put salt in your meals, put salt in your water. If this doesn't work, I would recommend using an electrolyte supplement like Element because Element contains the right amount of sodium, potassium, and magnesium. And the great thing about Element is that there's no nasties, there's no sugars, there's no preservatives, and that's gonna make sure that you get the best results for you to feel the best. And the one that I use is the raw unflavored option. I'll put this in my fatty latte, I'll put it in my water, and I'm off and feeling great for the day. So right now, Element is offering this free sample pack on every order. Order. So you're going to get eight single servings of Element to try for free. So if you want this, all you have to do is go to drinkelement.com forward slash five minute body. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash five minute body to get this sample pack. And thanks to Element for sponsoring this video. I wanted to also ask at that time in 2007, that was your worst moment, your face pain, was the worst. Your life was the worst. What change did you make after then? Because I know that you were starting to look at different modalities. So when I'm diagnosed in 2000, I'd been a, a vegetarian, low-fat vegetarian for uh, many years already. Um, it's interesting that uh, two years after my diagnosis, my neurologist mentioned the work of Lauren Cardane. Uh, and so I got his books. Uh, and after a lot of thought and prayer, became a, uh, a paleo eater. So I went back to eating meat. That was a, a you know a big decision. Um, and I continued to decline. The next year, I needed the wheelchair, and you know things were. But you know the speed of my decline was slowing. I uh, started re when I hit the wheelchair. You know I take uh, metazantrone doesn't help. Take Tizabri, that new biologic doesn't help. Uh, then I've switched to salsa, <clears throat> and you know I'm already doing the paleo diet, uh, and that's when I'm you know asking myself, am I really doing all that I can? And I'm like, well, I I could be reading the basic science, 
And I go back and I start reading PubMed and searching. And, and you know, I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a PhD. So reading this basic science was, was hard. You know, it was hard. I had to read these articles again and again and again to, to get them. And I decided mitochondria drive uh, disability. And uh, poorly functioning mitochondria made the disability worse. So I focused on what can I do for my mitochondria. And I uh, devise a supplement cocktail that I'm sort of tinkering with. And I figure out that if I'm taking my supplements, my fatigue is a little less than if I'm not taking the supplements. So I you know, gradually add a few more uh, uh, mitochondrial supplements. You know, it, and it was the summer of 07 that my chief of staff calls me in and tells me he's going to assign me to the um, traumatic brain injury clinic and I'll have to start in January. He describes what I'll do, no residents. I'll be seeing these patients as part of a multidisciplinary team. I come home and I tell Jackie, she goes, honey, there's no way you can do that job. And I uh, said, yeah, I, I, I know. And so come January, I'll go to that clinic and either I can do it or I can't and then I'll have to finally file for medical disability. And two weeks later, because I, I'm part of the Institutional Review Board that reviews uh, science, and I would already told uh, them that I wanted to review all the brain-related stuff. I was assigned uh, the review of um, a study using electrical stimulation of muscles in people who are paralyzed. We're never going to walk it yet. And uh, uh, they wanted to extend the study because the patient's didn't want to stop the electrical stimulation. So that well, that was super interesting. Um, so I do a search. There's 212 articles. Doesn't take that long to read all 212 abstracts. And there are just a few studies uh, uh, in Parkinson's and uh, in cerebral palsy. Uh, other, um, so I talked to my physical therapist uh, and uh, convinced him to give me a test session. And he says, yo, Terry, I can grow bigger muscles for you, but I don't know if your brain can talk to those muscles. I might be adding more weight to your legs that you can't use, and I may be making it harder to walk. But he does agree to give me a test session. Uh, it hurts like hell. I mean, <laughs> it hurts a lot. Um, but when it's over, I feel great. Uh, and uh, Dave says, yo, Terry, I think this is the endorphins. Uh, and so we start doing the, uh, East, the he calls it E-STEM. Uh, so I come to clinic every day and I uh, get uh, some sessions. And after a couple of weeks, he says, uh, I'll get, we're going to order a home device for you and you'll start doing this at home. Now at home, I can do a, a little 10 minute workout. If I do more than 10 minutes, I can't, I can't you know, I'm too exhausted. I, I can't go to work. So I do 10 minutes, my little mat exercises, and I do my e-stem during my mat exercises. Then I um, discover uh, the Institute for Functional Medicine. They have a course on neuroprotection. I uh, sign up and I take that course. 
Uh, yeah, and you know, it's PowerPoints with synchronized audio, a big notebook of cases. And, you know, it's, uh, again, a lot of biochemistry. It, it's, you know, I have to go through these lectures again and again. My kids are laughing like, Mom, uh, they're laughing at me like, that. you know, that's okay. So I have a longer list of supplements. Uh, and not a lot's happening yet. Uh, and then uh, I have this big aha, Rena, and I sort of laugh now that how long it took to have this aha. Like, what if I redesign my paleo diet based on this long list of supplements that I'm taking from mitochondria? Like, where are these ingredients in the food supply? Because there might be that it might be giving me other important ingredients that are helpful. So that's several more months of research that I uh, uh, do. And I start this new way of eating December 26, 2007. And that's when, you know, I, I couldn't sit up. Uh, I'm in that zero gravity chair with my knees higher than my nose. I'm having brain fog. I'm having uh, more trouble with my trigeminal neurology. I can take a couple steps uh, with my two walking sticks. And <clears throat> I know in January I'm going to start this new job that I know I can't do. And I'll probably now have to um, apply for medical disability. And, you know, January comes. So the first two weeks, I am, um, you know, in my wheelchair, and I'm just watching what my partners are doing. And the third week of January, my uh, I, it's my turn to start seeing the patients. And on Monday, you know, I come home, and, you know, Jackie says, so honey, how was it? And I'm like, well, you know, it, it wasn't too bad. And, you know, honey, I, I'd like to try sitting in a regular chair for supper. Because I've been sitting in a zero-gravity chair for supper um, for for years. So we take the zero-gravity chair with the table. We bring a regular chair table. And I sit at the table with my family. And, you know, that was a, a pretty big deal. Uh, you know, forgive me, I get sort of emotional. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm sitting in a regular chair uh, for supper. And then when I go to see my physical therapist, he says, you know, Terry, I think you're definitely stronger. Uh, and he tells me I can start doing my uh, E-STEM e and my exercises 10 minutes twice a day, then 15 minutes twice a day, then 20 minutes twice a day, then half an hour twice a day. Uh, and then I decided, like, you know what? I'm going to start doing uh, some E-STEM while I'm at work because my, my therapist said, you know, you've got your your week everywhere, so you can stimulate um, with a goal of forty-five minutes to any muscle group that's weak. So I start doing my moving my electrodes and doing isometric exercises while I'm at work, uh, and so now I'm doing you know many hours of e-stem, and then I start walking with two walking sticks, yet in my 
partners are like, oh my God, the back to walls. So are you on that? It, this is so exciting. Uh, and I'm showing people my uh, eStem device. I'm uh, talking about uh, what I'm doing. And then I, then I show up with one walking stick. Like, oh my God. And then I'm walking with no walking sticks. Uh, and then I um, tell Jack, I, yeah, I'd really like to try riding my bike. Because yeah, we used to ride bikes, um, um, and it had been six years since I'd been on that bike. And, and Jackie says, well, you know, if things keep going well, maybe in the fall. Well, I think it was two or three weeks later, and it was Mother's Day. I really want to ride my bike. Uh, so we have at this emergency family meeting. My uh, son, you know, 16, my daughter, 13, they're adamantly opposed. They don't want to risk my falling and, and um, losing all the great ground that I've made. Jack, however, um, says, you know, let's try. So she tells my 16-year-old boy, six foot five, you know, big tall guy, Zach, you run alongside on the left. And she tells Zebby, a 13-year-old, you run alongside on the right, and she'll follow. And we all get into position. She gives the all clear, so I get on my bike, and I bike around the block. I do up that big 16-year-old boy, and he's crying. The 13-year-old, she's crying. Jackie's crying. I'm crying. And you know what? I relive that moment. I, I still cry. Because you see, that at that moment, I knew the current understanding of secondary progressive multiple sclerosis is incomplete. And it was like, uh, how much recovery might be possible? And so every day I would bike a little further. Uh, and then in October, uh, so it's just a few months later, Jackie says, honey, I, I signed us up for the Courage Ride. It's 18.5 miles. However far you go will be a triumph. And, now, and mind you, I'd only gone eight miles. It was the furthest I'd gone uh, until that. And that day, and I had to stop a few times and lay down and rest, but I, I got up and I crossed that finish line. And we know once again, we're all crying. My kids are crying, Jackie's crying, I'm crying. I still cry uh, thinking about that. You know, that fundamentally changes how we think about disease and health. It fundamentally changes the way I practice medicine, and it changes the focus of my research. And I've since made it my mission to teach um, other clinicians how to use these concepts, to conduct the research to show that diet and lifestyle really matter, and to give hope. Uh, to the millions around the globe who, who've been told that there's nothing more that can be done, who, are t who, who need to have hope to realize that no matter what they're being told, there are always things that they can do to make things a little bit better for themselves. When I listen to your story, it touches home for me because my dad has dementia, so he's dying. And let's talk about the fix. Because in one year, you are in a tilt-recline wheelchair 
And then one year later, you can bike ride 18 and a half miles, which is unheard of. It's incredible. My dad is at the point that he can't sit up, he can't swallow. He probably has to go to an aged care facility. So when you're telling your story and your tears are coming out of your eyes, I also feel the same way because, and I'm, and I'm sure that people watching, they probably have somebody that is in their life or they can think of that has a debilitating disease that can be cured with diet and lifestyle or at least reversed or well, better managed. You know, I've heard careful say that I'm not cured from MS. If I went back to eating gluten, dairy, or eggs, my trigeminal neuralgia flares and I have, you know, horrific levels of pain. So, but if I continue to do my great diet, take my targeted supplements, exercise every day, I, you know, I, I'm now jogging. So I continue to improve. I continue to do really well. Uh, and the the other uh, people that I see uh, uh, that I help them manage their complex chronic autoimmune disease, and we get remarkable improvements uh, of function, remarkable reduction in pain. Uh, and sometimes people get so much recovery they feel like. Man, I, I am back to normal. I'm doing really great. And then they get tempted because, you know, the standard Western diet is very delicious. And they get tempted and they go out and have pizza and beer with their friends. And then they wake up the next day and their disease has severely flared. They either have, you know, if they have inflammatory bowel disease, they have terrible diarrhea or belly pain. If they have rheumatoid arthritis, their joints are hot and swollen and painful. If they have uh, multiple sclerosis and optic neuritis, they wake up and they can't see. Uh, and, you know, they're calling me uh, in a panic. I'm like, okay, you know, yes, you may need some steroids uh, from your conventional doc, and they may talk with you about uh, disease-modifying drugs, but you also need to know what triggered your flare was your return to your previous diet and lifestyle. You'll have to clean things back up. We don't know how long it'll take with uh, improving your diet to get things back under control again. Um, and, you know, it, um, most people, or I'd say many people, will occasionally cheat, discover they have terrible flares, and then realize, you know what, I really am not going to cheat anymore because I, you know, being healthy and feeling good tastes a whole lot better than that delicious food. So I'd rather follow a, a healthful diet and lifestyle than succumb to temptation and have my disease flare. So talking about this healthy diet and lifestyle, let's first talk about the diet because that's most interesting. And the other lifestyle uh, tips are also very interesting as well. But the diet, people, they have to eat every day. And what should we be eating? And what I want people to do is you can think about this. Uh, um, some, some folks are able to leap in and do everything perfectly all at once. Others have to gradually transition from their current diet to a more healthful diet. Uh, so I'm going to talk first about the things to add 
because additions are always easier than subtractions. Then we'll talk about things to remove. So add more non-starchy vegetables, the green leafy things uh, like spinach, kale, uh, lettuces, uh, Swiss chard, uh, beet greens, um, uh, more cabbage family vegetables, more deeply colored uh, uh, beets, carrots, uh, berries, uh, more uh, cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family vegetables. Uh, and then sufficient protein, and we talk about how to do this. If you're a spiritually committed vegetarian, how to do it as a vegetarian. I explain why I prefer that you have meat, uh, uh, fish, poultry, because of the complete amino acids. Uh, we talk about the benefits of uh, fermented foods like uh, sauerkraut, uh, kimchi. Uh, and uh, we talk about um, uh, uh, things to reduce and preferably eliminate. So uh, sugar-sweetened beverages, uh, processed foods. Uh, and that many people have unrecognized sensitivity to gluten. Uh, that's the uh, protein within many ancient grains, wheat, rye, barley. Uh, in the cross-reactivity with dairy proteins and brain structures, uh, such that if you have a, a problem with gluten, you probably have a problem with dairy, and that's leading to molecular mimicry attacks on your brain. So that's the reason to take both gluten and dairy out, uh, in that many people also have additional sensitivity to eggs. Uh, so I have people take eggs out, at least on a temporary basis. Uh, and um, for some folks, that's an easy thing to leap into. And for others, they have to do it uh, in more stepwise fashion. Uh, we also talk about uh, that we're addicted to these foods. They're delicious. And if I can see them, I'll be eating them before I know it. So it's easier if you do this as a family so that for the patient, you want to have their eating environment be filled with foods that are good for them and to take out of their eating environment foods that are not good for them uh, and to have a conversation with family uh, about what we can do together as a family. And if, as a family, what you can do is the Mediterranean diet, but you can't do the Walls diet, then start with the Medi what you can do as a Mediterranean diet. And then perhaps you can go gluten-free uh, and uh, uh, take the dairy out, um, but begin improving your diet. And when it comes to the meat portion of, and this is the Walls protocol, so Dr. Terry Walls, she created the foundation of what worked for her to cure MS. So when it comes to the meat, because for you, the quality of the meat is very important. If you can go organic, grass-fed, or regenerative farming, the um, nutritional quality of the meat will be better. Um, but I, I will remind everyone, when I began teaching these concepts in my clinics at the VA, uh, then the VA created the um, therapeutic lifestyle clinic uh, that I ran. Um, I was taking care of people in rural Iowa, uh, shopping in their small rural grocery stores. They were getting conventional food. It wasn't organic. They weren't going to Whole Foods. And they had 
remarkable success. So absolutely, if you can go organic, grass-fed, you'll get your results faster. But I want you to do what you can, given your economic reality. So if you, if you have to buy conventional meat, you have to buy conventional vegetables, because that's what you can afford, then that's fine. Eat that. Because you'll still have a remarkable improvement in your health. If you can afford organic, yes, get organic. If you can afford uh, organic grass-fed meat, yes, do that. If you can get wild game, wild fish, by all means, do that. What I don't what what I the other thing I want you to do is to quit spending your money on sugar sweetened beverages, on um, white flour flour-based cereals, pastas, breads, uh, because when you make white flour, even if, even if it's gluten-free white flour, we've stripped out a lot of nutrition, a lot of vitamins and minerals from those flours. If they're enriched with synthetic vitamins, much better to have these radical things known as vegetables, meat, or again, if you're vegetarian, for spiritual reasons than beans and rice cooked in a pressure cooker. Our nature didn't have empty calories. Our bodies evolved eating food. It didn't evolve eating processed foods. These processed foods are robbing us of vital nutrients that we need to run the biology of life. And every bit of delicious processed food that you eat, which is delicious, cheap, plentiful, but is robbing you of the nutrition you need to do the biology of life correctly. So this is a question I love to ask. If you could think of three best foods for people to treat all disease, what do you think is the top three that you would pick? Um, well, liver actually is, uh, liver and heart um, are uh, incredibly nutrient dense uh, vitamins, minerals. Uh, uh, they're packed with uh, mitochondria, uh, great mitochondrial nutrients. Really uh, great uh, food. Uh, so that's uh, one. Uh, and then I really like sauerkraut, uh, kimchi, because there's so many helpful probiotic bacteria uh, that is uh, really so good for us. And then the third would be green leafy vegetables, uh, as in uh, kale, um, uh, Swiss chard, spinach, uh, lettuces, uh, uh, parsley, cilantro. Um, uh, these these uh, green leafy vegetables are uh, really potent uh, 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 nutritional powerhouses. And then I'm going to throw in. Uh, a fourth category, those are uh, all of the spices and teas that um, uh, various cultures around the world have used. These are superfoods that have been speaking to our genes, have been helping uh, facilitate more effective uh, biochemical functioning of all of our cells. So conversely, what would be the worst foods, three of them, that you just think people have to just never eat 
if they want to reverse it is, but you can't say sugar because that's an obvious one. People know that. What's the other three? Um, okay. So I, 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 um, I'm going to say sugar anyway, because that is such a, uh, sugar sweetened beverages and there are all sorts of sugars that hit that category. Uh, sugar, corn syrup, uh, uh, date sugars, uh, um, coconut sugars, all of these are uh, sugar-sweetened beverages that are uh, not good for us. Uh, then the, the next thing is the flour-based foods. So those are the breads, cereals, pastas that um, are make all sorts of delicious things. Delicious, delicious, delicious things, cheap things that, again, Making the white flour, uh, the the food has the nutrients have been removed, the minerals have been removed, the vitamins have been removed. You still have the calories that feed the wrong bacteria and yeast uh, in our bodies. Uh, that is really not terrible for us. Uh, and then I'm going I'm going to add in sort of another category, the emulsifiers uh, that are added to the food supply to make foods um, have better mouth feel uh, so they don't separate. Uh, um, And that disrupts uh, the microbiome uh, in our bowels, again, fertilizing the wrong microbes and starving the good ones. That was good answers. So (laughs) emulsifies especially, it really depends on what's in packaged food as well. That's why I tend to stay away from packaged food. I wanted to ask... What is the difference between the Walls Protocol and a ketogenic diet? Oh, sure. So in the Walls Protocol, what I've done is I've created multiple levels. So level one, two, three, and then I have you know, the elimination diet. I, and I also talk about the Mediterranean diet sort of as a pre-Walls. It's okay to start there. And then I want people to take uh, gluten and dairy out. So now it looks like level one of the Walls diet ramping up the vegetables, taking out the bad stuff. And then level two is the paleo diet. Uh, and then level three is lower in carbs. So the paleo diet has about 80 grams of carbs. The paleo diet, if you're using medium-chain triglycerides, so more coconut oil, uh, medium-chain triglyceride oil, that would be 50 grams of carbs. If you are not using medium-chain triglycerides, now you're down to about 30 grams of carbs, and that is the ketogenic diet. Um, a, a lot of the traditional ketogenic diets stress dairy, uh, and I've already explained why I don't want my people taking dairy because of the cross-reactivity between dairy and, uh, and brain structures. So I'd rather they use olive oil. Of, so all of the great reasons staff olive oil in your diet, uh, but still abuse it to 30 grams of carbs. And I do want to say that the ketogenic diet, uh, you know, it generates more ketones, um, which are uh, how the body uses fat. And that's particularly good for brain health. It's particularly good for people with cognitive decline. It looks like it's also very good for people with severe anxiety, severe depression. uh, And uh, it looks like it's very good for schizophrenia uh, as well. Uh, and we are studying uh, comparing the paleo diet, a keto diet, 
uh, to usual diet uh, for people with MS. Uh, and so if we have listeners who are wanting to be part of our um, clinical trials, if you go to terrywalls.com forward slash MS study, uh, complete the little survey. You can say, first, the first thing you can do is say you want to be part of our database because we do studies that are sometimes survey only, so you wouldn't have to come to Iowa. Uh, so I'd, I'd want everyone with MS progressive or relapsing remitting to complete the survey, be in our database for future studies. And then if you have relapsing remitting MS, uh, but you have to live in the United States, Mexico, or Canada, and be wanting to come to Iowa. Uh, and would follow you for two years. Uh, it'd be very exciting. We'd love to have you. Uh, we certainly want you in our database. You can be part of our future studies as well. And I'm going to leave the link for the study um, in the show notes of this video. So if you want to enroll and you can see all the eligibility criteria, you can do that in the show notes of this. So this would be incredible for more people to come on board so that we can show that diet and lifestyle is huge to prevent disease. It is huge. Uh, because if, if we're going to change the standard of care so that people, when you're diagnosed with MS or really any autoimmune disease, uh, that with, they'd be able to say, yes, we have these great drugs, but just as important as the drugs is diet and lifestyle. Uh, and here are the diets that have good scientific evidence. Uh, and uh, the two diets with the best evidence right now are paleo and Mediterranean. Uh, I think uh, the ketogenic diets uh, do very well, but those studies have all been very small. We need larger studies, longer studies, and so we're, we're doing that right now. Wonderful. And the last question I want to ask is about the mitochondria. This is probably the most important thing because I was speaking to Professor Thomas Seafried and he's doing his um, research in metabolic theory for cancer. And it's all about the mitochondria. Um, what role does a mitochondria play in autoimmune disease or disease in general? You know, the mitochondria are the ancient bacteria uh, from uh, billions of years ago. They're engulfed by larger bacteria, and these ancient uh, bacteria could use oxygen more effectively and uh, let us make ATP more effectively, which would it, uh, allow these cells to become multicellular and become animals and primates and, of course, us humans. And all of our cells depend on the mitochondria to generate the ATP more efficiently so this cell could do the work assigned to it. If the mitochondria are not working well, that cell cannot work well, and uh, then you'll have deterioration. So it shows up as uh, irritability, so mental health issues, brain fog, uh, cognitive decline, uh, pain. Uh, and uh, that's the first symptom. Um, mitochondrial dysfunction can be helped with targeted supplements uh, um, and a better nutrition. Make sure you have plenty of those B vitamins, minerals, and fats so the mitochondria can work well. When the mitochondria work well, the cell can work better, and then the body can begin repairing itself. Uh, we, uh, uh, Dr. Singford studies mitochondrial dysfunction in the uh, setting of cancer and we know that for cancer, if we put people on a ketogenic diet, uh, the cancer treatments are far more effective 
and the um, side effects of the cancer treatments are much less. Um, so uh, there are great and very exciting studies with ketogenic diets and the sedative cancer. And now we're just beginning to have studies of ketogenic diets in the setting of MS and the settings of um, schizophrenia. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm writing uh, uh, study protocols to investigate ketogenic diets in the setting of uh, schizophrenia as well. Uh, I, I think there's tremendous uh, uh, potential for ketogenic diets to be very, very helpful. And what damages the mitochondria over time? Why do people develop that disease and dysfunction? Many of the uh, compounds in the environment are uh, poisons uh, to our mitochondria. Pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, all of these damage your mitochondria. Uh, lead, cadmium, arsenic, uh, uh, mercury, they poison the mitochondria. Yeah, uh, uh, if your diet is low in B vitamins, coenzyme Q, the mitochondria are starving. Uh, they they can't run uh, um, their reactions efficiently, and unfortunately, our diets have become so depleted, uh, and so many of us are exposed to uh, many of these toxicants. Uh, and then, uh, in addition, uh, some of the viruses, including the coronavirus. Uh, can hijack uh, and um, uh, disrupt mitochondrial function as well. Forever? Well, potentially. So, uh, you know, it, it part of the problem is when we get these viruses, we think that we eliminate the virus. We, we don't ever completely eliminate the virus. The viruses lay dormant in our body, and what's controlling them is our immune cells. And for our immune cells to work really well, we need good nutrition, sleep. Uh, we need to have our uh, stress modulated, uh, moderate amount of exercise. And uh, you know, humans are very social. We need to be connected. If we're alone and lonely, that is uh, very inflammation uh, producing. Uh, and you know, during the pandemic, we were isolated, we were lonely, we didn't sleep well, we had high levels of fear. Uh, many of us had severe economic uh, distress, uh, and so it was a giant stressor uh, for humanity at large, for communities at large, and for all, most of us individually, uh, we experienced severe stress during the pandemic. Last question is, what is the role of vitamin K for the myelin? Yeah, that, this is really, uh, I like this one a lot. So uh, in the animal models, we see that vitamin K turns out to be vital uh, for making myelin and that the highest levels of vitamin K are in the brain. Super interesting. And uh, I can also tell you in my recovery, when I started eating these greens, I discovered that I had this tremendous craving for 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 kale and and, and lettuce and uh, spinach, uh, all these greens. And when I got well enough that I started traveling, going to scientific greens again, I discovered that if I wasn't getting my six to nine cups of greens 
and I, I mean, I just had an amazing craving for greens. Then I could tell my energy and mental clarity was going downhill. Uh, and so then I started traveling with greens uh, and powdered greens so that I could keep up my enormous green intake. And after four years of this tremendous intake of greens, I apparently got caught up. And now I don't have to have quite as many greens. And I'm not as sensitive. Um, I, yeah, I, I think vitamin K2 uh, is a vital nutrient. Now, the evidence right now is still only in the animal models, but I expect that um, uh, it will be uh, true uh, in human studies as well. Uh, and, you know, we have been uh, uh, analyzing our vitamin K levels uh, in our uh, studies and reporting those as well. What is the last advice that you'd give someone if they just think, I'm stuck with what I have and diet seems too hard? So if diet is too hard, uh, then start with a gratitude practice and work on improving your sleep. Uh, and then when you are ready, start working on improving your diet. But first begin gratitude, improving your sleep, uh, and getting connected with other people who are interested in improving their health. I hope you enjoyed this video. Now you need to watch this video by Professor Seafried talking about the worst food that feeds cancer cells. I'll see you guys next week.